Hi, good morning. And it is a beautiful morning. Wish we had, you know, could just open up the uh, unnecessary expense, I imagine. Hey, we continue in our series on simple stories, daring truths on the parables of Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 14. So turn in the gospel to Luke chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11, but I want you to know that the occasion for the parable is introduced in verse 1 when Jesus is invited to the home of a very prominent figure, a very prominent Pharisee. So read with me as I read verse 7 and following. Now, he told a parable to see to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I wrestled with pride. But I didn't realize how prideful I was until I became a, a follower of Jesus, until I heard about Jesus and I made him the Lord of my life. And then... I became very aware of the pride in my life. Oddly enough, I was a guy who was pretty quiet by design. I felt very insecure, felt inferior. And I think a lot of people would have characterized me as very shy. And yet, I did really wrestle with pride. I was like a frog, a little frog. A little frog who wanted to go south for the winter, but that was so far to hop. So he got this great idea. He asked a couple of birds who were his friends if they would take him, and he revealed his idea. He had this idea that they would carry a, a little twig, a stick in their beak, and he would clamp down on the middle of the stick with his mouth, and then the birds would fly him south with them so that he could be there in the south where it's warm for the winter. And they agreed. And so they took to flight. 
And that must have been quite a sight. In fact, two farmers spotted them. And one farmer, he said to the other, that's plain brilliant. Whoever got that idea is genius. And the other remark had to be one of them birds got that idea. And when the little frog heard that, he just couldn't allow them to think that it was the bird's idea and not his own. And so he told them. That's right. He never made it south. That made me think of me. I think that's one of the hardest things. When we do something great and it doesn't get noticed, something good, something praiseworthy, have a great idea. And that's a lot of times we spend our whole life trying to come up with those ideas and then to have it given to someone else the, the credit, that's just, that's almost unbearable. I was like that little frog. But I really want to be like Sir Edmund Hillary. Not because I like mountain climbing, but it was Sir Edmund Hillary in 1953 with Sherpa Tenzing Norgay who summited Mount Everest for the very, very first time. A lot had given their lives to trying to do uh, what Norgay and Sir Edmund Hillary achieved. In that very same year, that feat was honored when Hillary was knighted by his country. In 1985, he was made New Zealand's highest commissioner in India, Nepal, Bangladesh. He was um, also honored in 1995 when he received the British realm's highest award, the Order of the Gator, which... Uh, Membership entails only 24 people. Uh, I believe that may be in history, a very distinguished group. The thing is, those are just a few of his achievements and honors, but despite those achievements and honors, Sir Edmund Hillary is, is known for his, his humility, his his readiness to serve others, uh, his interest in bettering others. And, uh, of course, that really came out uh, when he was honored at his death. But the story is told that on one of his many trips back to the Himalayas, he was spotted by a group of tourist climbers. And, of course, they begged to be photographed with him. And uh, they handed him an ice pick to hold, which would be fitting, and so, as they were getting positioned, a fellow climber happened to just be coming by, past the group, and didn't recognize who was in the center, but made his way up to Sir Edmund Hillary saying, excuse me, that's not how you hold an ice pick. Let me show you. Everyone stood around in amazed silence as Hillary thanked him. Let him adjust the ice pick and happily went on with the photograph without ever drawing attention 
to the issue. I want to be like that. That's what's admirable to me about humility. It said, if someone else blows your horn, the sound will carry twice as far. And that's true. It's just we can't trust anyone else to blow our horn like we can trust ourselves. And that perhaps is just one facet of why humility is so hard. How do we become humble? It really did become a quest for me. And at first, I started out um, rather mechanically. I mean, you could get online, for example. You could Google traits of humility or characteristics of humility. And you could list them, and you could memorize them. You could laminate the card and carry it in your pocket. You could refer to it to keep you on course. And I don't doubt that that would make you more humble, but you would be so aware that I think it would almost defeat the purpose because you would be constantly gauging, am I being humble or prideful? And get caught up into that thicket. The world is a world of hubris, of pride, of arrogance, of overreaching. Humility is needed more than ever, and it's rarer than ever. How do we achieve humility? Well, that's what I'd like to talk to us about this morning. And basically, uh, the theme of what I want to talk about can be summarized in go lower to go higher. Go lower to go higher. And I'd really like, I hope, uh, the theme itself may not be all that sexy or inspiring, but uh, I really hope that as we go along, I can give you some insight into true humility and what generates humility almost, if you will, automatically. Because I don't want to counsel you to fake humility. I don't want to counsel you to, so to speak, go lower to get higher. But what I want us to do is go lower to go higher, realizing that lower is higher in the economy of God. What I want us to appreciate is That instead of, so to speak, treasuring gold, we treasure lowliness. (laughs) You see? Instead of saying that's success, I want us to appreciate lowliness is a true success. And indeed, there, maybe you might think of it as a trick of the mind or the heart, but there in lowliness is real highness if you will. That's what I want us to try and appreciate this morning. We're going to look, as we look at the parable, and a little bit beyond the parable, we're going to look at down there, down there lower. That's where I'm getting the expression of down there. Down there in, if you will, lowliness. Down there we find an honorable human. We're going to see that in verses 7 through 10. Down there we find our heavenly hero. And I, I, that's really, to my mind, brought about uh, by verse 11. And we'll look at Philippians 2, 3 through 11, just in passing. And then down there, we find the highest 
honor. And that's really picked up in, in verse 12 and 13. But down there, we find an honorable human, a, an honorable person. Um, the nicest human beings are humble. They really are. Unless they're faking it, you know. I used to fake it. It was like, uh, I mean, I was trying to be humble. So you say, hey, John, nice job. Oh, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. It was the Lord or something like that, that kind of, I've got to depreciate and push myself down. That's not the kind of humility I'm talking about at all. Genuine humility is uh, characterized by kindness, helpfulness, Sincerity, people who are humble are honest and open. They listen. They really listen. And they care. They genuinely care. They praise others. They promote others. And they accept correction easily. They have no problem saying, I was wrong. You're right. In fact, they laugh at themselves. They can poke fun at themselves. They're generous. They serve others. To them, to humble people, no job is too small. No title, you see, so puffs them up that they can't, so to speak, step out of character, you know, and do things just like people with no title. Humility is really cool, I think. It's actually something beautiful. And yet in our society today, we often find fault with humility, or we think of humility as a weakness. You know what I think is really cool but very rare? When you meet somebody you look up to, could be a sports star. Maybe, maybe you ran into somebody that has their own uh, television show or situation comedy or they were on Dancing with the Stars. Somebody you really look up to and you run into them on the street or something and they're full of the qualities of humility and not full of themselves. That's so cool when you find someone that you see on the big screen or someone that everybody looks up to, and yet they don't look up to themselves. They kind of look up to you. They treat you like you're just as important as them. Not that you're someone without a TV show or not a sports major league contract or somebody beneath them, but as somebody just as important. Just as valuable, just as precious. That's a beautiful thing. Have you ever run into it? If you do, you remember it. It's striking. And you know what you think of that person? You think, that's an honorable person. You honor them. That's what, to, if somebody is worthy of honor, we say they're honorable. And when you run into people like that, you, you find it easy to honor them, to lift them up, to exalt them because of those, those beautiful qualities that make you as important as them. That's what Jesus is kind of talking about right here in this parable. 
You know what is really surprising about this parable? Jesus does not extol the traits of humility or the heart of a humble person. This parable, I really struggled with this. This parable just offers some savvy advice on how to avoid public humiliation. I mean, I got to be honest with you. This didn't have to be in the Bible. You could have heard this parable at a business seminar. Uh, if Donald Trump wasn't so full of himself, I could imagine him giving this advice to someone else. He might want to keep it to himself, you see, so he didn't want to give you any leg up any chance to get ahead. There are people who like to keep secrets of common sense or good advice to themselves. But Jesus, he's in this situation, and basically, he just teaches them, don't make a fool of yourself. And here's how you do it. You don't take the seats of honor. You wait to be given the seat. Because if you take it, and then someone more honorable comes in after you, which honorable people often do, right? Because they want to be fashionably late. And then the host who's throwing the whole bash, he walks him to his seat and you're sitting there. And as delicately as he can, he says, would you please get up and give your seat to this person? And then you, Jesus says, you have to, with a growing sense of shame, give your seat to that person, telegraphing, magnifying the fact that that person is a more honorable person to you. And then when you go to get your seat, now the only seats left are the lowest seats at the table. So you have been doubly demoted. If you'd taken a seat fitting of your honor, you'd be sitting even closer. But now those seats have been taken, and you have to go to the very end, the very least, the very last seat. So what does he teach in verse 8 9? Demotion is bad. And what does he teach in verse 10? Promotion is good. And I'm thinking, how do I make a sermon out of this? Uh, let's get to bumbleberries early or whatever it's called. But then Jesus adds verse 11. You see, you could do what Jesus is saying and be entirely motivated by selfish desire and pride. You could be savvy enough. You could be prideful enough to do the wise thing, see, and actually get ahead, get further by taking the lowly seat and outfoxing everybody. But then Jesus says, verse 11, which shows us the motivation is entirely different. Look what he says, and I'm going to give it to you um, literally. And here's the reason why. The word humility in Greek is the word low. That's right, low. 
I mean, it can be used of mountains that are brought low. Just as we, in our language, might say, he is of lowly mind or low-minded. We know that means, well, that, that's humble. And so the actual notion of, so to speak, spatial or geographic lowness has to do with the idea of humility. Here in verse 11, we see this, but I want to translate it quite literally with the words low and high, which is what those words are. Everyone who lifts himself up will be put low, and the one who puts himself low will be lifted up. Now, every listener knew that the one doing the lowering and the lifting is God. That's the key. That's the thrust of what Jesus is teaching here about humility. And he moves from something so earthy and so practical. It's almost like he's enthusing them to see something deeper than just how to get ahead, you know, how to avoid humility, how to avoid embarrassing yourself. And by the way, it is good advice. You know, if somebody, for example, storms into your office and makes all kinds of accusations, I encourage you mentally and in your attitude, take the low seat. Let that person have the seat of honor and listen very carefully. And you'll get a lot further in coming to a meeting of the hearts and minds than if you get into the seat of honor and start shouting that person down. In all kinds of situations, in practical living, in our families, our home, you know, our neighborhoods, school, work, if we take the low seat, we'll actually find we get a lot higher in what we want to achieve and, and purpose. That's good. But what Jesus does is he takes that a step further and he draws our attention to the source because the one who does the lifting and lowering is none other than the Lord God Almighty. And every listener would know that. And that is what's so profound here. We think of it as just, a, hey, some great slogan. Maybe I could put that on a bumper sticker. Put it on a shirt or a cap. Cool. Make a little money. But there's a great truth here is the point. And it may be so familiar that we can overlook this great and profound truth. And that truth is, is that humility comes through dependence upon God. If you want naturally to become a more humble person in the beautiful sense that I described it, all you have to do is depend upon the Lord. But you might be saying, well, how do you get that out of lowering yourself? Well, that's where God is. God's down low. God's really low. In fact, that's the most profound thing that we need to really appreciate, is that God is not high, he's low. He's low, low, low. And when we lower ourselves to where God is, great things begin to happen. Let me explain by drawing our attention to the, oops, can you put that back? 
to the next point, and that is point two, which is uh, down there we find our heavenly hero. Here's the greatest case for humility. Jesus is our humble hero. I hope he's your humble hero. I hope he's your hero. If I were to ask you, why is Jesus your hero? I have a hunch that your answer would be the same as mine. Jesus is my hero because he saved me. We might use different words, but basically, Jesus saved me. I know where I was. Do you know where you were? I'll bet you do. And if you were to go back and look at your life then, you might, just like the psalmist, describe your life as in the pit. Sometimes it's only when life humbles us, beats us down, strips us of our pride, shows us our great need and who we really, really are, you know? Without all the things, all the accoutrements, you know, all the extras of life, clothes, jewelry, cars, playthings, house, friends, degrees, or whatever. When we're down in the pit, we realize who we really are. And then we realize God is not higher than us. He's right there with us to deliver us. We're not beneath him. He loves us right there. That's where he is. Does that make sense to you? In our lowest, lowest times, God is there. If that weren't true, we wouldn't say he saved us because he wouldn't get that low to do the kinds of things in our heart and our lives that he actually does. Jesus saved us not out of his height, but out of his depth, his lowliness. He taught his followers to go low, extolling lowness as the way to highness. In fact, he told his disciples, whoever takes the low position like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God, Matthew 18, 4. He said, the one who is greatest among you, I mean, take that to heart. This is just not poetry. The one who is greatest among you is the one who serves you, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11. And you know what he followed it up with? These words, everyone who lifts himself up will be put low, and the one who puts himself low will be lifted up. What do you do when you are the most powerful person in the room? You know that idea of... Um, a big frog in a small pond. All of us have our pond where uh, we're the biggest, most powerful, most noble person in the room. And what do you do? How do you behave? How do you see yourself and others? Jesus was the most powerful person in the room, in that upper room with his disciples waiting for him. And when he entered that room, he took off his 
He took a towel and wrapped it around his waist, and he got down. He got down with water, a bowl of water. And he took their feet into his hands, their dirty feet, and he began to wash them. There's nothing lower than that. In Jesus' day, low people, slaves, poor, they did those things. Not the Lord of the universe. That's low. That's where Jesus goes. That's where he calls us. That's where he wants us to be because that's where he is. That's where people are. If you're not humble, if I'm not humble, you cannot love unlovely people. It's as simple as that. Jesus wants us to go where he goes. He's not like so many people that I've worked for that tell me what to do because they don't want to do it themselves. I hope none of us are like that. The kind of manager or leader or boss that won't stoop to do certain things because it's beneath us. When Jesus himself said, that's where I am down there. That's where I found you. And I want you to go there again and again and again because that's where I am. I'm not asking you to do something I wouldn't do myself. And this inspired Paul. And I mentioned Paul. We could mention Peter and James too. But Paul, because 13 of the 27 writings in the New Testament are his, and there's a little bit more feedback. And what does he say about Jesus? I mean, did Jesus get into his heart and his head and inspire him to humble things, to lowliness as a way of life? Did, did Jesus not glorify lowliness? It did for Paul. It got inside his soul. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I mean, he thought that was motivating. And I do too. Then he goes on in Philippians 2, 7 through 8, just to mention a couple of those verses. He says, Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave. Boy, that ennobles the position, doesn't it? By looking like other men, by sharing in human nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's low. That's where Jesus is willing to go. And that's where he found us. Go low. 
Because that's really where the heights of God's great aspirations, his heart, his love, his desires are found. Because that's where you are. That's where people are. And that's the object of his redemption. There is a redemptive quality to humility, to lowliness. And we know it in our hearts because we have been redeemed. That's the inspiration. If you can get that, you'll find it easier to go low, to be humble, to get your eyes off yourself because our Savior did that. And look who he touched. He touched me and he touched you. And if you and I will go low with him, we'll touch others in his name and he'll work through us. And there's a highness to that that we can't always see or appreciate. It's a gold. It's a precious jewel. It's an eternal reality that God validates because he wins in the end and he is good. And the resurrection validates it and proves it to our minds and our hearts. Paul defined humility with Jesus in mind in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, leading up to 7 through 8. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in lowness, or in a lowly position, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, this disposition is the idea. Have this disposition among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's, that's just beautiful stuff. That really is inspiring to me. And it captures my imagination, and I hope it does yours too. It captured Paul's imagination. In 2 Corinthians eleven seven. he said, Did I commit a sin in, in humbling myself? Did I commit a sin in taking a lower position in your midst? And the reason he brought this up is because among the Corinthians, I mean, they were into honor. And I mean, you don't do anything like that. You don't step outside of your status position, they thought, and if you've read 2 Corinthians, you know that they were after the pseudo or false apostles, those who elevated and puffed themselves up. They were good at PR. Look at us. We're, you know, and they sashayed in there and with all kinds of the, so to speak, ornaments of pride and honor. And Paul wouldn't have any of it. That's not the way he was. In fact, sometimes we look over, we look right past the most beautiful, walking, living, breathing, talking examples of the gospel because they're just faithfully serving the Lord day in and day out, honoring him and not themselves. And sometimes we look right past him at all of the hoopla in the name of Jesus. Paul says, do you think I committed a sin 
because I, I took a low position among you so that, in other words, what was the purpose of me taking this low position? So that you might be exalted, he says, so that I might give unto you the gospel of Jesus Christ free of charge. No patron client I scratch your back, you scratch mine, which was so profound in the church of Corinth in that day. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low. Do you know how I would translate that? I think it's actually a little bit more accurate, but a little more cumbersome to our English way of hearing. I know how to accept a lowly position. That's what Paul's saying. Why is that verse so familiar to us? Because it ends in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was inspired by Jesus. We ought to be too. Down there, the third point, we find the highest honor. I want to just give you five things that I think organically, not artificially, Help us to get down there. First, humility realizes that down there is where God is, which is a point we've already made. It's a high honor, by the way, to be where God is at work. Second, humility is seeing yourself as God does, not as we want others to see us. And that's a beautiful but an honest evaluation by the way, I read an article this week and the, the person was writing about baptism and the person said, I've always said I was baptized, but now I say I am baptized. I like that because that is our status, buried with him and raised to newness of life. It's not something that we've graduated from. It's something that is the hallmark of our life, our complete identification with Jesus Christ in his lowliness, in his death and his resurrection. I heard a little fable this week about a donkey in Jerusalem. And uh, on one particular day, someone brought the donkey to a man and the man sat on the donkey, the little donkey. And as the little donkey made its way toward the city of Jerusalem, people started waving palm branches and laying the palm branches in the road as the little donkey walked along. And as they shouted, Hosanna, there was just this festive, incredible sense of celebration. Hosanna in the highest. And the little donkeys looking at, all around at the hands, waving in the palm branches and walking on this carpet of palms. And this man on his back and the donkeys looking around. And he's thinking, whoa. They go into Jerusalem. It's just the the greatest day of his life. The next day, he says, I want to do that again. So he goes back 
And he makes his way along the path, but this time there are no palm branches. Nobody's waving palm branches. There's not a path of palm branches. Nobody's shouting Hosanna. There's no crowd. In fact, people are shushing him out of the way. He gets into the city, and it just seems like he's in everybody's way, and everybody's shouting at him, get out of here, you stupid little donkey. And the little donkey is totally dejected and humiliated and he makes his way home with his tail between his legs and his mom sees him, sees him coming at a distance and she says, she says, you silly child, don't you know that you're nothing without Jesus? That's how we began, isn't it? Paul said, Colossians 2.6, as you... Received him, so live in him. Third, humility is dependence on God. Lowliness is next to godliness. And let me be clear, and I know I've gone a minute over. Let me be clear. Humility is not feigning lowliness. It's dependence on God. When you depend on God, Listen, I wouldn't be up here standing in front of you if I hadn't been willing to depend on God. Sometimes depending on God causes you to step into the spotlight that you'd rather not be in. Sometimes it calls you to be assertive for the truth in a way that you'd rather not. Sometimes you have to step up and do things that you wouldn't want to do because maybe you're meek and shy. And other times, humility says, Stoop and do that. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. It's not beneath you. And love that person. I love that person. Well, you say that person has a kind of a rank odor and they're dirty. And Jesus says, I would touch them. And you touch them too because of humility, because of dependence, you see, on God. That is the heart and soul of dependence. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Fourth, humility is revealed by how we treat others. As I said before, if you and I don't go low, we will not love the unlovely. But that's where Jesus is and that's where we need to be too. And fifth, humility is refined through adversity. Adversity shows us the power of God. It really does. Adversity reveals to us the power of God if we'll depend on him. If we're dependent on ourselves, then of course everything's going wrong. This is no good at all. This is not what I planned Why can't I control things? But it's when we are powerless and feel very impotent that we realize the power of God. And nothing shows that more than adversity. It confronts us with it. But what we want to do is willingly depend on him all the time. Take the low seat. Go low to go high. Will you stand with me and I'll close in prayer. Father, we know it takes trust to do these things. May we trust you. Take the risks of going low.
that are sometimes very unfamiliar and uncomfortable to us, that we might discover and grow in our faith and discover how true it is that uh, you do the lifting. And it's a beautiful thing indeed. We love you, Lord. Thank you for reaching to where we are. We praise and thank you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.